Well, God bless you guys. Good morning. You look awesome. Thank you for being here on our 28th anniversary. Our very first service was in this room 28 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. And we have been always in the community and of the community, and uh, we actually made it full circle back into the community center. And uh, I believe this without a shadow of a doubt that God has us exactly where he wants us because at any point he could open up a permanent home for us. And uh, I will tell you this, that uh, I've been a part of a lot of churches and ones that had finally gotten into the building they had been dreaming for and saving for and giving to and watching the shift become about the building and about uh, um, um, paying bills in there and, and just sustaining and maintaining all of that. And uh, there's a real freedom that does happen uh, because we get to be in this building. And so I'm not saying I don't want us to be in a, in a, a permanent home one day, um, but I know this, that we are having an impact on our community by being exactly where we're at. Amen? All right, turn uh, your attention to the screens. I'm going to show you something. How often does your job call you out of bed in the middle of the night? Well, if you were a doctor, it would be often. And generally, there isn't much time to spare. Coffee, doctor? Oh, fine. Have a camel with your coffee. Thanks. You know, this night work's kind of rough, isn't it? That's right. But a camel's always a pleasure. Yes, folks, the pleasing mildness of a camel is just as enjoyable to a doctor as it is to you or me. In a nationwide survey, doctors in all branches of medicine were asked, what cigarette do you smoke, doctor? The brand named most was camels. Tens of thousands of doctors, general practitioners, surgeons, specialists, doctors in every branch of medicine were included. And according to this nationwide survey, more doctors smoke camels than any other cigarette. Try camels yourself the cigarette so many doctors enjoy. Yeah, so um, that's a real commercial, and there's a, lot wrong, <laughs> there's a lot wrong with it, namely one that it's a nurse's job to serve the doctor's coffee. That was, um, I'm sure, sure women feel really valued and, uh, and their worth. Um, uh, but one thing that's uh, strikingly uh, uncomfortable about that is though they don't come out and say it, they imply that not only is not is is smoking not not bad for you, it's actually healthy for you because after all, why would doctors smoke if it wasn't good for you? So we're going to pretend though that um, they didn't know any better and that uh, they were just working off the knowledge they had. Uh, today there are an estimated thirty-one million adults, those 18 and older, there aren't statistics on teenage smoking, uh, but today, just in America, there are 31 million active adults smoking, and that number, they believe, might be uh, at least 50%, if not 100% more than that, if you include teenage smoking. Today, smoking is still the leading cause of preventable death, which accounts for one in five deaths in America. So maybe they didn't know back then, but today, I mean, that, that, those numbers are staggering considering that that happened, uh, that commercial was back in the early 60s, but here's the thing, they already knew by then 
Because in 1965, it became illegal to advertise cigarette smoking on broadcast television. It uh, then progressively became illegal to do it in print, to do it anywhere else as well. And it was the time in which they began to require a Surgeon General's warning on all packs of cigarettes. And here's what those Surgeon General's warnings say. Smoking causes lung cancer, heart disease, emphysema, and may complicate pregnancy. Another pack will say quitting smoking now greatly reduces serious risk to your health. Another one will say smoking by pregnant woman may result in fetal injury, premature birth, and low birth weight. Another one will say cigarette smoking contains carbon monoxide. Yes, people die of carbon monoxide poisoning all the time. And another will say this product contains nicotine, and nicotine is addictive chemical. So the warning is clear that there is absolutely nothing good, nothing healthy, nothing right that comes out of smoking. As a matter of fact, it's guaranteed to make you sick. It's guaranteed that if you do it long enough that you're going to die prematurely from it. It's going to kill you and it's going to adversely affect people that you love, people around you, and your own innocent baby, right? Yet tens of millions of people still smoke. Now, before we get super judgy about smokers, uh, according to the National Library of Medicine, 71% of Americans are overweight or obese. Not 66, which was just reported five years ago. It means a staggering 210 million people out of the 305 million Americans are either overweight or obese. And today, eating processed foods and fast foods will probably kill more people prematurely than cigarette smoking. So what's my point? I've got a couple that I think are worth pointing out. First, we are great at ignoring warnings and choosing to do things that harm us when we know better. And secondly, we are great at judging other people because they don't choose to destroy themselves like we do. Right? So I want us to have a conversation, and just like last week, if you missed last week, I'm uh, imploring you to please go watch that online because this is going to be a five-week conversation. It's not going to be uh, really standalone messages. It's one long conversation. If you pick any one of those and just sort of cherry pick which one of these messages you're listening to, you're going to come away with a really imbalanced and unhealthy perspective on sin and grace. And I will tell you that that's been the biggest problem in churches is that the conversation is never balanced. It's that we lean into one or the other because we possibly think that one or the other has been overemphasized by other Christians. And both of them are very real biblical conversations, but you can't have one without having the other. And next week I begin the conversation about grace specifically, and I hope you don't miss it because everything we've talked about up till now will be measured and, and balanced by that conversation. And I have to tell you, I think the church has done a bang-up job about um, sounding the alarm on sin. It seems to be, unfortunately, one of the only things that the world is picking up from our messaging. And I think it doesn't do us any good 
um, to yell louder about sin. I think we need to have uh, better conversations about what Jesus came to do. And uh, that's bring grace. Uh, listen to Genesis 2, 15 through 17. We're going to go back to the garden. We're going to talk about God's first surgeon general's warning on our life. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of it, you're going to know the difference between good and evil. All you know now is good. I don't want you to know evil, but you have a free will. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. And that is God's first and clearest warning. The problem is, that's the first time that man was able to taste sin and not experience immediate consequence. Or the consequence wasn't enough to prevent him from disobedience. I mean, they felt shame immediately. They covered themselves. They were banished from the garden. But it seems as if God didn't fulfill the dire warning of death following sin. And so that is the beginning of us knowing that it's causing us harm. Smoking the cigarette, knowing this cigarette is doing me no good, that it's actually hurting me. But I'm not going to die as soon as I finish the cigarette. And I mean, I'm a sucker for a Whopper. I'm not a McDonald's guy, but I can get down on a Whopper. I don't know if you've ever seen the calories on a Whopper. Whatever they're using is not meat because meat doesn't have that many calories. <clears throat> The point is this, that you and I often choose what we know will ultimately destroy us, but because it doesn't immediately destroy us, we continue to do it. And so we're going to have a conversation about what it looks like when you and I continue in our lives to unravel the order and the law that God's put over our life, the warnings that God's put into our life to protect us. And you already know most of this, if not all of it, but like a good disclaimer, like a good release of liability form that you sign, or the, uh, form that you sign before you uh, go bungee jumping or skydiving or horseback riding or something where there's uh, a danger involved, and they have paragraph after paragraph after paragraph, and you don't read a single word of it. You just want to get on the horse. You want to jump out of the plane, and so you sign it. So we're going to do this because this is your biblical release of liability form. You need to know with certainty what sin does, what sin is, and what sin isn't. Okay? So um, grab your notes if you don't already have them out. Like I said last week, if we make it through everything, that's cool if we don't. That's cool, too, because um, my heart as a shepherd is that we navigate this conversation well together versus I feel like I did a good job preaching, okay? So um, I have a low self-esteem anyway, so I'm going to probably feel crappy about it one way or the other, so I might as well at least have... Oh, stop. Uh, <clears throat> we're, we're, it's important for me that I help you wrestle with something that I wish I would have wrestled with a long, long time ago, and that's the conversation about grace and sin in our lives. 
um, because I was brought up um, in a culture and atmosphere in church in which I measured my Christianity by how often or how much or what kind of sins I was doing. And that made my Christian experience a very difficult and shame-filled one and uh, one in which I just felt defeated all the time. And I think that, unfortunately, we, I'm including me in this, as leadership have facilitated that belief system to the degree that if we talk too much about grace, it feels like permission to sin. And I want you to hear this. You already have permission to sin. You don't need mine. You, you can sin as a Christian. You can sin. You don't need my permission to do it. You're going to sin. You have to stop living your Christian experience with the agenda to stop sinning. You're going to fail at that. And therefore, you're going to feel like your walk with Christ is a failure. So stop trying to not sin. Okay? I, I had some of you on the way out last week who were like, mm, I'm going to have to think about this. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, welcome to, the, welcome to the wrestle and the processing of what we've been told versus what the word says. And I'm hoping to give you a really healthy perspective on what the word says. And um, I don't think anyone did it for the wrong reasons. I think people like me hoped to, like a good parent, keep their kids from wrecking their lives. And that's why you make it seem so important that you stop. Stop doing this, stop doing this, stop doing this. And we know statistically through all studies that telling you that there are going to be ultimatums and consequences for your behavior is one of the poorest motivators to change your behavior. So let me ask you this. How well has guilt and condemnation worked so far in getting you to stop sinning? Right? So how about we abandon the failed method of moving our lives closer to righteousness by not trying to not sin? We're really bad at it. Right? I had this kid in my youth ministry, and um, he kept getting arrested um, for stealing. He was shoplifting and breaking into people's houses and stealing stuff. And I sat down with him and I said, hey, can I give you just some like general career advice? You're terrible at this. <laughs> you're just, you're horrible at it. You keep getting caught. Like it's, you're just not cut out for this line of work. Like you're, there are good thieves and then there's you and you're just terrible at being a thief. I mean, you're good at the stealing part. You just get caught every single time. And you and I are terrible at not sinning. Okay. Every time we sin, we already know that, number one, every sin is malignant. So thankfully, every cluster of cancer cells is not malignant. And if you don't know what malignant means, it's, it's the word we use for most damaging and often terminal. Um, if you have a malignant diagnosis, that's not the good one. So thankfully, there are a lot of benign cancer cells. 
Now, I want you to imagine, though, that if every single one of us learns that we all have cancer and that it's all 100% malignant, it's all 100% terminal, and it's 100% unavoidable. You can't not not have cancer. Let me show you what I mean. Romans 6.23 says this. When people sin, they earn what sin pays. You do the work of sin, and then you get the paycheck of death. But God gives his people a free gift, eternal life, Christ Jesus our Lord. All sin is terminal. All sin produces death. All sin is malignant, and all of us sin. For we've, like I said last week, all sinned and fallen short. And the saddest part of it is that... um, You know, Lisa and I were kind of just talking randomly. It wasn't even about this this morning. Just about where personality comes from. Is that nature or nurture? And it's obviously a combination of both. You know, you might might have a very ambitious personality, a very driven personality, and that's just wired into your DNA. But you also might be socially awkward, and that's because you have two socially awkward parents who never really helped you um, relate well to people. Um, We're all born into the nature that causes us to sin. We're not born guilty of sin this moment we're born, but we're born, um, it's like you were born to thieves and you just grow up born to mobsters, born to murderers. You're just born into an environment and a genetic code that makes you predisposed. Here's this, Romans 5.12. And I'm throwing in a, I never do this, but I'm throwing in a little Greek along the way because there are about six different words that we derive the word sin from, and they all mean slightly different things. And so, again, we kind of get ripped off in English. Consider this, sin, hamartia, which means to miss the mark. It's the archer's term that we most often use in the New Testament to mean that. So to simply miss the mark, to not hit the goal God set for us, which was paradise and perfection and obedience, entered our world through one man, Adam, and through sin, death followed in hot pursuit. Death spread rapidly to infect all people on earth as they engaged in sin. So we're all diagnosed with this terminal illness called sin that always ends in death. And because of Adam's disobedience, it became generational disobedience. And though I'm not responsible for Adam's sin, I am as guilty as Adam because I have in my own life disobeyed God. Ephesians 2, 1 through 2 says this. As for you, don't you remember how it used to, uh, how you used to just exist? Corpses, dead in life, buried by transgressions. That's another word we use, uh, it might say sin, which is peritoma, falling aside, stumble, or to lose your footing, right? That doesn't sound as intentional. It just means to veer off the track, that you've gone somewhere that you're not supposed to go. Uh, Wondering the course of this perverse world. You were the offspring of the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. You're, you are Uh, living out the genetics of the enemy who disobeyed God. Oh, how he owned you just as he still controls those living in disobedience. So we are all sinners. We are all terminally sinful. And we're all 
not just experiencing prolonged death, death that will come at the end of our existence here on earth, but it says we're walking corpses, which means that we walk in areas of our life that should be alive in Christ, in the creator's uh, order of how our lives should be, um, but we're walking in death instead. We're not living the marriages that we're supposed to. We're not living the mental health, the spiritual health, the emotional health. We're not living our purpose. We're walking in death because we're walking in a plan that was never uh, written into our story. Number two is this. Every time we sin, we already know that every sin is willful. So I'm really hoping that you do stay uh, plugged into this whole series because you're going to hear truths that are going to feel out of balance. and They will be out of balance unless you hear the truth that counters the other truth you just heard. It's like a doctor sitting down and giving you only half the news and you don't know what the other half is. And so you might walk out of that um, really uh, uh, devastated or you might walk out of there really encouraged when you shouldn't be, right? So please, I'm hoping you stay really um, connected. One of the truths is, uh, truths is that I want to share with you, but we're going to talk a little bit more about it, is that um, our sin is the cause of guilt and shame being heaped on us. Um, we are not fans of sin, or we're not fans of guilt and shame, and we often throw that off, and we say, I'm, I see this big thing now in social media, like, you're perfect just the way you are. Don't let anyone tell you you're not. And that's, it's, I, get the, I get the heart behind it, but you're not perfect just the way you are. Even if you don't have a Christian worldview, you're broken. You're not the perfect spouse. You're not the perfect man. You're not the perfect woman. You're not the perfect parent. You're not the perfect friend. You're not perfect just the way you are. What a terrible thing to tell someone. Now, I don't think you should say you're crappy in every way. <laughs> don't let anyone tell you otherwise. So we, we have a way of trying to throw off our guilt, but the reality is that you are responsible for all of the sin in your life. It, all of it is purposeful, it's intentional, it's willful, and it's selfish disobedience, and it plants a seed in your life, and you'll eventually reap the consequence of that seed. You are the seed caster. So the sin that brings consequence in your life is your responsibility. Listen to James 1, 13 through 15. When a person is tempted, they shouldn't say, God is tempting me. For God can't be tempted by evil, and he doesn't tempt anyone. But each person, and, and this is probably good advice to not blame Satan. But each person is tempted by their own evil, godless desires. These desires lead them to drag them away. When these desires are allowed, so desire in itself is not sin. When these desires though are allowed to remain, they lead to sin. And then when sin is allowed to remain, it grows and it leads to death. Right? So think of it this way. Um, I guess having a pack of cigarettes in your house isn't going to make you unhealthy. But you won't smoke cigarettes that aren't there. So leaving them there, because sometimes you just need one, and I'm not picking on smokers. We do the same thing with alcohol. We do the same thing with internet 
We, some people are just as addicted to being online as smokers are, right? And I've, it probably brings mental, emotional, relational death just like smoking does physical death, right? So we're not, I'm just giving this an illustration. We all cool with that? Cool. So you won't smoke a cigarette that's not there, but you leave that there because it's what you need sometimes when you're really stressed out and man, you quit smoking a long time ago, but you're just gonna leave it there. And then you start smoking, right? And now you've crossed that line and it's become, now you're doing the thing. And then you pick that habit back up and it leads to death. It's, God didn't put the cigarettes there. You did. Or you put yourself in the path of that. I don't know why I can't stop drinking. I mean, I go to the bars every weekend and I I can't figure out why I can't (laughs) stop drinking. I can't stop drinking. I buy a 12 pack on my way home from work every day. I can't stop drinking. We are the product of our own desires. And each one of us struggles with maybe similar things, but likely not. Likely your struggle is different than my struggle. Listen to Galatians 6, 7 through 8. It says this. Don't be misled. Remember that you can't ignore God and get away with it. A man will always reap just the kind of crop he sows. If he sows to please his own wrong desires, he'll be planting seeds of evil and he will surely reap a harvest of spiritual decay and death. But if he plants the good things of the Spirit he will reap the everlasting life that the Holy Spirit gives him. In other words, you and I have the seeds to either invest in our health, into life, into growth, into good things, or we have the seeds to plant in our own desires because often there's an immediate satisfaction to planting that seed. Right? Just like um, working out, um, it's I get a greater satisfaction. So Lisa and I like to go to Mod Pizza over off uh, Blue Oaks. And they sell these uh, no-name, what do they call them? No-name cakes. They're ding-dongs is what they are. But they can't call them that because that's a trademark name. So they're their own version of these. And I don't eat, I don't actually eat junk food anymore. I used to love junk food. But uh, some of you remember Fat Chris. But um, I... uh, I used to love that kind of stuff. And uh, I can't, I just freaking can't say no to those things. They're like so good. They're so good. And I'll, Lisa, Lisa goes, I just want a little bite. And I go, okay, we'll split it. And I take this giant bite out of it where there's this like rim of cake left. And I'm like, "Mm, I only took half, right? Like (laughs) got it all in, in my mouth. So that is an immediate satisfaction, like, but that's going to cost me. Honestly, the work I'm going to have to do to burn those calories is not really worth it, truthfully. But you and I, we, um, we respond to what we feel. And it's easier to be online and act out in rage and anger than it is to do the right thing and be righteous and be godlike in that moment and respond like Christ. Third is this, every time we sin, we already know that every sin is debilitating. So while I was a humble, lowly youth pastor here, uh, we owned uh, 20 acres out on 193 and that's where our offices were. And um, there was two stories, uh, this old house and 
uh, Pastor Darren, the founding pastor's office, was on the second floor, and he had a sun deck that came off. And uh, this was actually when uh, Tim Houck, who's our graphics guy, who lives in Visalia, he's a professor of philosophy at a college there, but he's actually here in service with us, so he'll remember this story really well. Because this was back, Tim's been on staff longer than anyone else except me, and um, it's like 17 years. And uh, Tim was working in the office at the time, and I had climbed up on top of this big air conditioning unit, then on top of something else, and then I got onto this lower roof, and then I got onto the sun deck because I needed to borrow a book from Pastor Darren. I was doing a funeral or a wedding, and I needed his little black book, and I tried to open his door, and it... So instead of, though, like a reasonable, intelligent human climbing back down, I decided to jump off the roof because I thought the grass was uncut and it was really high. And I was like, it's like an airbag. It's like all those blades of grass are like springs that will catch me. And Tim walked out and looked at me and he goes, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm going to jump right there. And he goes, okay, I don't think that's a good idea. And walks just walked back inside like, I feel like I'm responsible for you if I stay out here and watch this. And I jumped off and it was unbelievably painful and I landed on both feet. And uh, about two weeks later, I, the pain in my shin was so excruciating. I went to the, I thought I'd broken my legs and just didn't know it. I was just walking on it. I thought my shins were broken. And I went in, they did x-rays and um, I literally had to explain to him I wasn't trying to commit suicide because I told him how I did it. And I told him I jumped off a roof and then it went into a big mental health evaluation. And I was like, just x-ray. It's stupidity, not suicidal tendencies, I swear. So uh, my shins were fine, but I had uh, torn and uh, hyperextended and torn my plantar fascia tissue and uh, ripped it from, it's attached to your heel, and I ripped it from there in both feet. And I have never been able to walk the same sense. That's true. Like I, by midday, I'm in a lot of pain. And before all of you give me your, roll your foot on a tennis ball and advice, I've done it all. Just, yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> send it in an email. Um, uh, the point is that my stupidity in one moment changed the way I walked forever. You're already ahead of me, Right. So when we do things, we sow a seed that we're going to eventually or immediately reap the consequences. Hebrews 12.1 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially, this is one of the weights that slows us down, the sin that so easily trips us up and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Sin, let me tell you, I still walk, but I walk differently. I don't walk as fast. Sin doesn't set you back to square one. We don't believe that. Sin doesn't start over. Sin doesn't make you unsaved. Sin doesn't remove, remove you from the umbrella of grace of God in your life. But sin does trip us up. It makes us lose momentum. If we're running a race, if we're striving for the life that God has for us, and we choose to step into something or step over something or step on something or jump off something, we can't be surprised that it stops the momentum, that it trips us up, that, that we're covered in sort of the, the, the dirt and the briars and the things that will stick to you when you've put yourself outside of the path that God's planned for you. 
Proverbs says it this way in Proverbs 5.22. It says, the wicked will be snared, right? Trapped, caught by their own wrongdoing and their flaws will tie their own hands and they will be dragged through life by the cords of their sins. That's the wicked, those who have chosen a life of sin. But do you think that there would be similar consequences to even the righteous choosing to step outside the order of God? Of course there is. We might not be dragged through our life by the cords of our sin, but we'll be dragged off course. Yeah, of course we would. And fourth and finally is this, every time we sin, we already know that every sin is alienating. Every sin's alienating. Listen to what Romans 8, 5 through 8 says. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. And those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So let your sinful nature, uh, so letting your sinful nature control your mind, that leads to death. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature, listen, is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. So I want to point out two things. Let's be really, really clear about how alienation happens. And I'm going to cover more of this next week. Sin does not alienate God from you. I'm going to repeat this next week. Sin triggers a grace response from God. Our sin causes God to draw close to us. We don't get that because sin is an alienator for us. Other people's sin causes us to alienate ourselves from them. But according to scripture, it causes us to be hostile towards God, not the other way around, but us hostile towards God. When we think of sinful things, we aren't thinking of God things. When we're thinking of God things, we're drawn to him. When we're thinking of us things, we're drawn away from him. That's the process of alienation. That's why we're so angry about other people's sins. Let me tell you something. When you hear someone say, I don't go to that church no more. They're soft on sin. They don't preach enough about sin. What they mean is they don't preach about the sins I don't like. Because I'll tell you, if you got them to write down their sins and you spent the next three months doing series on their sins, I don't like that church no more. All they do is talk about the gossiping and the hating on other people and being a racist and being misogynist and treating people poorly and being a rageaholic on the internet. I move on to something else. Talk about the gays for a while. <laughs> so if you get angry at other people's sin, it's because you feel alienated. Because someone who's close to God doesn't feel repulsed by the sins of others. They feel drawn to them. Because you want to bring reconciliation and wholeness. And you, Jesus said, I came to be with the sick. 
Not those of you who already know how righteous you are. What in the world would you want to hang out with me for anyway? Jesus said, I came to be with all those who are far from God. So when you and I are of the mind of God, we are drawn to those who are broken because we are agents of healing and wholeness and reconciliation. But our own sin causes us to be great at judging others, which is the last place we should be because that's not even what God does with our sin. Jesus says, I came not so that I could condemn the world, but so that I could save the world. So he who is qualified to condemn and shame and judge doesn't do it. But we who are far from God in our own sin, we're happy to fill that role. So my sin causes me to be alienated from all that brings out the best in me. Those who love me, those who want wholeness in my life, but especially it makes me an alien to God. Not because he doesn't draw close to me, because I won't allow it. Because I've turned my mind on other things. Jeremiah 3.25 says this, let us fall on our faces in shame, covered in our humiliation. Ours is a legacy of rebellion for we and those before us, all of our forefathers, all of those who have gone before us, everyone's been sinning against the eternal, our God. From this time, from the time we were young to this very day, we have refused to obey his voice. Jeremiah's response to their sin was shame. And that's what we feel when we've wrong God and we have a long history. Your whole life is full of sin. My whole life is full of sin. If you look at our track record before God, we are unworthy to be in God's presence and that makes us feel terrible about ourselves. And because we feel terrible about ourselves, misery loves company. We want everyone to feel badly about themselves. And that is the giant misstep of the church is we believe our mission is to tell the world how bad of shape they are, how terrible they are, how sinful they are. If we can't get them to listen, we'll turn it on each other. And I'm telling you, we have so gravely missed the messaging of God's word. I, wish I could Repent and ask for forgiveness of every person I've ever made feel like they were not a follower of Christ because of sin in their life. I got it wrong. I passed on a message that had been passed to me and I didn't challenge that against, the God, against God's word. And later in life, in my own recent journey, at unpacking God's word to know his heart, to really know his heart, I discovered that I had been getting it wrong. Now you may leave here and disagree with me, and I'm genuinely okay with that. All I would ask you to do is do what I did and have your argument with the word of God, not with other people. 
Don't argue with me about it. Get into the word and prove me wrong if I'm wrong. But do it through the word. Not what your pastor told you. Don't go online and look it up and let somebody preach to you about it. Everything I'm telling you, I don't trust a thing I'm telling you. Go to the word and read it. Read it in the context of, pull all these passages and read them in the context of the whole book, the whole chapter, whatever you need to do. Wrestle with this. I'm begging you because I'm convinced that you'll land in a place where you can't help but to see how terribly hopeless we are in our effort to be righteous on our own. You cannot stop sinning enough to be righteous. That's the thing. You can't, you will never, if, if, if today you got through the whole day and you didn't sin, you still wouldn't be a smidge more righteous than the person who spent all day sinning. Because righteousness is not born of what you do or don't do. Righteousness comes through the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And I want you to be whole. And I want you to walk in grace and not in guilt. And you say, well, it kind of feels like, though, that's going to give everybody permission to sin. It does. It absolutely 100% does. And if that's what you want to do with grace, then you can. You can. You absolutely can. You can keep sinning and walk in grace. You can. So now what? Like, the, I, I just took away the big zinger, the big... Yeah, but you're going to go sin. We're all going to sin. I'm preaching half my message next week, but where there is sin, grace does that much more abound. Paul said, all things are permissible. You can do anything you want. They're not all profitable. So yes, you can sin because that's how powerful grace is. Because sin no longer has the ability to separate us from God. That's the forgiveness is yours. All sins forward, all sins past, all sins present. It's yours. Repentance is the place in which you and I respond to our own sin and we turn from it because it, we can't stomach it anymore. We can't walk in the, in the residue that we feel when we choose our way again over God's way. That's a heart that wants to be closer to God, not further from sin. Right? There's a big difference between those two. I had to throw that on at the end because some of you won't be back next week for whatever reason. And you go, man, that was a terrible message today. That was just... Would you bow your heads, close your eyes, and I just want to close. If you have been walking in the shame and the guilt and the alienation and the, the distancing that sin has created, um, and you want to wash that off you today and just say, I know that that's not... God's heart. He's drawn to me. 
Bible says, while we were still yet sinners, he came to us. When we were at absolute worst and there was no hope of reconciliation is when he ran to us. And I'm going to tell you something right there in your shame and whatever you're feeling, he will run to you. He's just waiting for you to turn back around. If that's you, would you just throw a hand up and say, yeah, I'm, I, I want to wash that feeling out of my mind. I want to just, yeah, thanks. Thank you. Christ Jesus, I'm praying uh, for all of us standing here representing broken people who have bought into the lie that sin causes God to pull back from us, that if I sin less, he'll love me more, that if I sin less, I'll be a better Christian. It, all, of the, all of the things that have been rehearsed in our head for so long because we felt like if we just gave people an inch, they'd take a mile. If we just said, yes, you can sin and walk in the favor of God, you can sin and still walk in a righteous relationship with God, that it doesn't change your position, that we're not unsaved when we sin, that all of the messaging that's corrupted our relationship and made us feel like we have to perform for you. I'm praying that you would just do a hard disk wipe, that our hard drives would be completely reformatted and our minds are just ready to receive whole information, true information, the hope in the life of your word. That's what I'm praying takes place in these weeks of conversation that we're having. Help us, God, undo what's been spoken into us and we've just accepted as truth because we didn't wrestle this out ourselves. Give people the boldness to get into your word this week and look at what you say about us and what really makes us right with you. That's my prayer for all of us in Jesus' name. Everybody said with me, amen.